0: Hi everyone, and you're very welcome to Reinventing the Next Chapter, a podcast where I speak to women who, either through choice or through circumstance, have had to take a step back, reevaluate their lives, and make some powerful changes. I'm your host, Elaine Ryan, life, career, and relationship coach. If you're feeling stuck or not where you thought you'd be in life, my hope is that these stories will give you the inspiration and, more importantly, the motivation to take the first step towards reinventing your next chapter. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Reinventing the Next Chapter. Today, I am joined by Helen Walsh, health and life coach, mentor, trainer, and social entrepreneur. So, a woman of many, many talents, and um, we're going to get to hear all about it now. So, Helen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Elaine. Good morning.
0: Great to have you here. And um, so I just did a very quick intro there, but would you like to tell us a, bit, a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Okay. Well, I've been decades doing that. So it sounds like a very long title, but there's very long years behind that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would have started off in the fitness industry um, after school. And basically, look, I wanted to be a choreographer and I wanted to be on stage and acting and singing and doing all of that. And um, it wasn't an option at the time. It was uh, financially just wasn't an option. And I remember the first course coming to Ireland for fitness instructors and Flashdance was on the telly and Fame was on the telly. (laughs) and They had the ankle warmers going on and the music. And I thought, okay, this is an adaption to what, you know, the, the, what else I wanted to Stage. do with the choreography. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I took three little jobs and saved up the money and uh, which was, it was expensive at the time, but I remember just having that challenge of, right, this is the goal. I have to be on this course. I know this is meant for me. And um, I signed up then to, to do the course in Lytton Lane for three and a half months. And that was it was just like stepping into the life I knew I was supposed to have. And I know that sounds very cliched, but I never regretted a day of it. And that's
0: that's amazing. It doesn't seem so many people don't have that feeling. So it's great that you felt that you were in the right place.
1: I just had another way of being able to do the choreography and the dancing and the music or whatever. It was just another channel to be able to do it. And i think that's important for people as well sometimes we see something in front of us and we're not able to do that for whatever reason but there's always a back door or there's another way in you know so it taught me that it also taught me my determination when i really wanted something it was the first time I really had a sense of that you know um and then it really just took off from there i went to work in the gym and I loved the classes and the fitness and the people. And it was just obviously my absolute element. I worked in a gym and Donnybrook Book with a team of fabulous people. And she would partied half the time and worked half the time. It was, <laughs> it was of the time, you know, in the 80s, late 80s. And yeah, uh, work hard, and was, party hard. Yeah, and it, and it was fabulous. And we all had one another's back and it was great. But I think very soon after that, um, even though I was progressing in my Career and becoming, you know, supervisor in the gym at the time was sort of a really big deal, and blah blah blah. I think for me, anytime I put somebody on the weighing scales, they just tell you things about themselves. It's a yeah. bit like when the, a hairdresser will say when someone I sits was just in their about chair. To say that, yeah. <laughs> so um, I thought, oh my god, these people are telling me some really serious stuff, you know, and I don't really know how to to handle that. And um, I was always into learning and education. wherever. So at night time, I had just finished doing the Gaity School of Acting for a year. Oh, and wow. I, so I you wanted... got
0: that, that dream of of doing the acting. You, you did the
1: course anyway, even though you weren't working. it. And... I did a couple of ads, which is for a whole other conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll have was three days on YouTube. <laughs> but it was great because it was it really helped with confidence and teaching and you know yeah. up in front of a group of different people all the time teaching classes um, and your presence and stuff as
0: well like
1: yeah yeah exactly but I also I just always took it serious I took it yeah. serious that someone would come in and hand their body over to you and say I need you to fix this or I need you to help me or I need you to whatever so
0: yeah.
1: um anyway I decided to do the counseling course um to Baldrige College, but it was Manooth University counselling.
0: Right. Because
1: yeah. uh, I thought, okay, I really want to know the right thing to say to somebody if they do tell me something like they're in a, a bad situation at home or whatever. Anyway, uh, I came out of the counselling course a couple of years later with my certificate and going, on. I'm never counselling anybody. I don't want to sit and process over and over what's wrong and whatever. It just wasn't for me. And at the time, and television had a big effect on my life over the years, Dr. Phil was on the telly. Oh, yeah. He'd only just started. He was on the Oprah Winfrey shows at the time. Yeah. And it was, I remember looking up, this is reality therapy, okay? And I studied reality therapy for a while. And then that brought me to coaching. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, this is for me. This is so progressive. So I can say this is where I'm at, good, bad, or indifferent, but... What do I need to do now to move forward and set a plan? And that just bought into every value that I had in terms of you being able to, to take yourself out of situations.
0: Do, do you think that the background in, co- in counselling
1: helped the coaching though? A hundred percent because it teaches you Listening. really how to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, it will also teach you not to react You know, sometimes people tell you horrendous things, and you're like, oh, that would be your normal reaction. But you learn not to do that. You learn to, this is a really serious moment that somebody is trusting you with. And it's a very valuable moment for them. And how you handle it then is crucial. So I think, yeah, I don't regret any of the training. I did a lot of work on myself. Yeah, my own stuff. Um, during that time, so it was great. So I just went on really at college at night time. So I would, you know, I would work in the gym, but I, my education went on to I did child psychology, I did cognitive behavioral therapy, um, I did all sorts of mad other courses in the middle of all that. But I just, I've just finished the addiction module, um, now, and I just have always thought oh my god there's so much more that she can keep adding on yeah addiction counseling or coaching the coaching, coaching. uh it's the addiction diploma so it's just a, a a wing of something to add on again you know yourself from coaching when yeah. someone sits down with you they are more likely to have something they're addicted to or some habit that's really destroying them that they're trying to break that's usually fundamentally what's under most issues um, so I, again I just thought I wouldn't mind another bit of an edge on this and to have a different angle on it yeah. and it was amazing I just loved the lectures I hate the assignments <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I lose hair when it comes yeah. to the assignments but um, and and through one of those courses uh, it was the child psychology course we had this lecturer who came in and she was amazing about she talked about special needs and learning disabilities and she was lost walking around the college one evening and I said to her you're looking for something she said the canteen so we ended up going to the canteen and having this cup of coffee that changed my life because she diagnosed me by the end of our cup of coffee with dyslexia Um, and what age was that I was that was about 15 years ago okay So, I had got all that time learning and really pushing. And I, I, to be honest with you, I just thought I was a bit stupid. I thought, okay, you know, I have to read something three times. Somebody beside me reads it once, but I've got to read it a couple of times for it to go in. And I knew if I sat in front of a lecture and came away, I could tell you word for word what the lecturer said, like an hour or two later, but I couldn't read it.
0: Yeah.
1: It wouldn't go in in the same way. So things like writing and all that, I never thought it was something I, I would do um, or get around to. But I did. So. And so in school and
0: stuff for your leaving start and everything like that, that
1: it was that it had gone undiagnosed? Didn't really go to school, if I'm honest, okay. <laughs> last year. Right. um, my mom was very ill. Uh, we were nursing mom at home. She, she'd been ill all our, our childhood. But um, I remember just, you know, getting to leave in search here and thinking, do you know something? I found boys and flirting with the boys and I'm having a time in my life for the first time. I really feel I'm having this great fun yeah. and I'm not bothering going to school. i sure I'll set the exam if I pass. I pass. I don't know by the skin of my teeth how I do, how I manage that. But I think because when I was in school, I was listening. Yeah, so it went in that way. Um, but I didn't study the books or didn't do that. Yeah. The stuff. So I just thought college is not going to be an option for me. Mm. But yeah. you actually were going on
0: to do all of these courses without the awareness that you had dyslexia and that you kind of, I suppose, could have had
1: additional support and stuff like that. Yeah. I I'm, I was so hungry to learn. And the yeah. day I, I got my Leave Cert results, and I was so shocked, as I said, that I had past my subjects and I I went oh my god can you imagine if I had have actually put a bit of work in here what I could have achieved and then I thought I I remember standing at the door of the school going looking at the newspaper and going you know what no matter what that says I know nothing right now Mm -hmm. I need to get hungry about learning and and but I was I only really picked the things I wanted to learn yeah at that stage as opposed to to doing other subjects that I didn't See to be relevant to me. Yeah. So that so was your amazing. It was an amazing experience to have with that lady. You know. Yeah. And so, what did you do then with that information? Did you? I didn't do anything because I think what happens is you just have a better understanding of yourself. Yeah. This journey that we're on, really, we just keep getting to know ourselves a little bit more as we get older, and. Mm. I think that was a really important part for me. So I wasn't hard on myself then when something didn't go in. I went, okay, is this, is there an audio of this or is there another way I can, yeah. so it gave me that understanding to have, I suppose, a bit of compassion yeah. with myself. And as I said, like just doing the assignments are just a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I just go, okay, you know what? You're going to get this done because you've done hundreds of them before now and you'll get through it and you know yeah throw myself into the irish sea every day at the end of the world typing
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh god um so you started out with wanting to get into acting but then it was kind of that flash dance gym all that kind of thing and Mm. then you went on to do loads of mindset stuff, I suppose, like counselling, coaching. Um,
1: so then where did you, where did you land? So I think that the I was still working as a physical trainer for years and yeah. I, you know, different places had started to do a bit of head hunting and, you know, back in the day you were sort of poached if you were anyway decent at what you did. And I took my job really serious, you know, and I knew that, there was a difference between me, say, and some of the other instructors who had just done it because this was a nice course to do, or this was I knew this was something in my heart that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I I I took my interactions with people as they came in serious and I took them serious. Um so I got good results with people. I was able to communicate with them. Um and I just I suppose they're just people know if you're genuine or you're not. Yeah. You know, are you on a shift? to get through your six hours in the gym or are you actually there to want help and people used to lose weight you know or tone up or some hit some little target I would be getting more excited than they were oh, about the, the whole yes. process and um, so that was great and then uh, eventually I got a call to see if I wanted to go to um, Pat Henry's um, and I went to work with Pat Henry, who was sort of the master of that whole field at the time. And he had, as I call it, the lilies of James. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the Road. And all these pop stars walking in and all these famous people and all these whatever. You know, so it was, a, it was a different world. And you meet people and you just go, at the end of the day, we're flesh and blood. So they world come in thing. the same yeah, bumps on their backside that we do, and you know, and so that was sort of refreshing. Um, I met made a few really good friends over that time. I managed the gym there for three and a half years. Uh I was headhunted by principal management then. Um I'm still not a hundred percent sure how that came about, but I think what happened was um I So Principal Management or U2's management company.
0: Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah,
1: and I think what happened was I remember being given this ticket to go to Lansdowne Road to a football match. And I grew up on Grand Canal Street beside Lansdowne Road all my life. We'd never been to a match in there. So I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird that I've never been. I'm going to go to this. But the ticket I was given... Mick McCarthy was sitting on my right and Larry Mull, the drummer from YouTube. <laughs> and I didn't know who either of them were. You remember, you're back in the day without the mobile phones and the yeah. social media and the who's who, right? And uh, the, the what I learned even from all the different people coming into the gym was they all look different in real life anyway, you know, so it takes you a while. Like I had a conversation for an hour one day with David Bowie and I didn't know who he was. <laughs> And in some ways, they love that about you. Well, I was going to
0: say they're probably <laughs> used to people like fangirling and taking selfies and everything. Somebody's treating them like a normal person—they probably love yeah.
1: It. And he was—he was absolutely gorgeous and lovely. But anyway, um, I was given out in the match about the training. I was like, oh my god, they're doing ballistic type stretching. I can't believe they're still doing that in this day and age of blah blah blah. So I was ranting to myself but I was obviously okay. doing it out loud. And that was on the Friday, I think. And then on the Monday, I was headhunted by Prince of Ranchers. So I think it was on the back of me giving out about the football match and the training or whatever.
0: So wow. it obviously um, sounded like you knew what you were talking about.
1: I just couldn't believe it was so dated at the time. But anyway, they, they're well advanced now. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I anyway, I, I was with them for four, four and a half years a couple of members of the band wow. um, we also trained the police on Garda corner okay. um, I went to do some training for them and I was in Store Street and Pear Street was my base so I was four years in there as well um, I would get some candidates ready for the emergency response unit testing yeah. And we were excelling in that, like we were doing really, really well, that we had to try and bring our numbers down <laughs> rather than up. Okay. Um, but I loved it, and it was great fun. And, you know, you get to see these guys who are pretty tough, whatever, and then you get them in the gym doing a salsa dance class or something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just great fun. And it's Doesn't lovely another side. To, yeah. to let go of that. Um, and then something that had happened in the meantime as well was that I... Uh, and it was really just after the the coaching. Um, a friend of mine was teaching a class in Babadarr College. She was teaching communication skills, and she got sick. And she said to me, "Look, can you go in? It's transition year. They do, they need a facilitator, not a teacher. Can you go in and yeah. teach this module? This is the module." Blah blah. blah. I said, "Sure, no problem." I used to stand up in front of people at that stage, so yeah. going, whatever. And I just fell in love with the boys so much there's a room full of kids sitting there with so much potential and it was so exciting um and she didn't come back then for the next few weeks till the end of term so I finished that off and at the end of each term with the boys in there they fill out a form to say what they got or whether it was useful to them or wasn't whatever and so I am twenty-two years there now. Wow! <laughs> oh, congrats. You I know, do not think I impressive. And it obviously has to keep adapting, dependent on society and social yeah. media and all those things. But it's an absolute pleasure to be able to teach them and you know talk to them about their identity and their energy and their bring all the coaching and, and
0: all of that into us. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and their dreams and and push them forward to to do things you know yeah so yeah no it's been a, it's just been a lovely it's been a lovely experience i was in h&m this this summer i went in and i spot this dress and i went up to the counter and there was you know the way there's a long counter and there's three people at the counter serving yeah. and the lad at the counter who looked really cool like whatever said oh hi you miss i'm like oh notified <laughs> Um and I said, Oh, well, I'm delighted to see you working However, He said, Oh, this is this is because of you. He said, You made me do the, you know, the CV and the interview skills and blah blah blah. Aww. And he called over the other staff and he said, This is her. This is the teacher I told you about. Oh, wow. And he said, I mean, you brought us to the doll, and we met Mary Lou MacDonald, and it was epic. <laughs> this whole shop is now standstill looking at this whole conversation uh, playing out or whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so, but I
0: mean, in coaching, you don't often get to hear or see what people go on to do. So that's lovely to you can see the proof right in front of you, like that's whatever impression you made, and
1: I'm actually having an impact. I just told him I was really proud of him and, you yeah. know, delighted for him or whatever. And he was loving every minute of the job. You could see just, mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously going to go on, I'd say, and do something in fashion or whatever. But he had touched into that nerve in himself. And you see, that's where you it's you, you can't beat that as job satisfaction. You You get to see people develop and become, you know, who they're meant to be. And I thought we forget sometimes and I think teachers even can forget because they're in the throes of tiredness and all the rest, the impact that you can have on people. And it's not a power. It's not. It's there's a very different take on it. It's just believing in somebody. Like I will say to all my students, I see something amazing in you. I don't know what it is yet, but it's there. Yeah. Your job now is to find out what that is.
0: And for a teenager to hear that a lot of the time they're lacking in self-confidence and stuff, that to hear anybody believes in them is is really powerful, I imagine. Like
1: yeah. Well, I, I, you know, you pick up on cues along the way and you know the ones that will need a little bit more from you. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had kids with learning disabilities that hadn't like like myself, hadn't been picked up on whoever, and I'd spot that a mile away now. Yeah. And I would one kid who used to just he just fidget the whole time and he couldn't, um, everyone was saying to him, you have to sit and listen, you have to whatever. And I thought, okay, what do you really want to do right now? He said, I want to draw. And I said, can you listen and draw? And he said, yeah, 100%. I said, up to the art department, get yourself the drawing stuff and sit down. And I just let, let him off to, to do what he wanted to do. And he listened to everything. But I met him this year uh He's he's thirty now, I'd say. Um, I met him this year with his mum. His brother was graduating from transition year, and he said, "Can I?" He came up to me, and I wasn't really sure. I knew the face, but I wasn't really sure who he was. And I said, he's, "He said, can I have a hug?" Yeah. And I said, "It depends on how old you are." <laughs> <laughs> and anyway he gave me a hook and his mum came up behind he said my mum wants to say something to me and I'm like oh and he said because you spot the learning disability or whatever he said I was able to change my path from there on in and get the help I needed with my education I've gone on to become a teacher because he said I want to be like you well that was me gone I was gone for the night couldn't stop crying all night I was yeah. so just it was just a moment of impact I suppose where you just go oh my god this is worth going in on the days you feel tired or yeah putting your best foot forward on days where you, maybe you're not well or you're whatever and putting them first and it pays yeah. off and I think any investment we make into young people
0: yeah. Well, yes. you're making me want to be a teacher now <laughs> I'm the daughter of two <laughs> teachers so they've put me off but you're you've changed my mind um, so God you've taken so many different career uh, pivots I suppose so the gym then the celebrity training the guards training then teaching in Belvedere and so then the social enterprise bit where how did that come about
1: yeah um again television um yeah. I know people give out about television but it changed my life <laughs> numerous times but I was it yeah, gives you ideas doesn't it from other yeah. like I, I was because I was into the coaching before I even knew that it was coaching I was glued to Oprah Winfrey you know anytime she was on the telly I loved it and I remember being sick at home. I was living in Shankill and I was sick and I sat down and I put on Oprah and I thought, great. And I remember having this big troll around me and a big cup of tea and getting Mm snuggled up. And it was an episode about these children who had seen a need for things and collected what was needed and given Mm -hmm. it away to wherever it was needed. So for example, there was a, a home for babies and all these women had got together and knitted blankets and knitted the clothes and whatever. And then it was given where it was needed. Mm-hmm. Um there's another kid who literally went around and asked everybody for their spare pennies, the loose change that they throw in the bowl or the the pocket or the whatever. And yeah. he collected that and put it, gave it where it was it. And it was just the impact I thought, I love this idea. I love that people can give something, have to really think about why they're giving it as well. You know, but maybe something they're finished with or something that that is very small to them. But if we put it together, it has an impact.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I set up Pass It On, and that was 25 years ago.
0: So tell us about Pass It On then. How does that work?
1: Um, so, Pass It On started off with I decided the first thing I do is golden hampers, um, golden baskets, and they were to be for elderly people. So, I remember my first year, my first Christmas dinner, because I think I watched the Oprah Winfrey Show around October, and that's my first Christmas dinner, and I did seven hampers. <laughs> Okay. And I wanted to get them luxury toilet roll and I wanted to get them nice woolly gloves and I wanted all the things I thought people won't buy for themselves because they're watching their money and whatever. Anyway, I did seven of them. But as. And who were you giving them to? I was giving them to people that I knew were elderly and living on their own and right. whatever in the community. <clears throat> but I realized that the more I talked to people about it, the more people said, oh, I'll do that next year with you and I'll do that next year. So it started to grow. And then, after a year or two of it growing, this person knocked on my door and said, There's a family down the road who really could do with a hand. You know, I think they're going to need food or whatever. And I remember leaving the first food hamper on their door. Yeah. And so that went on for years. It was just doing that. And people would donate different things at different stages. And I just became a facilitator first. So they might say, "I have a telly that I'm finished with, but it's really good." You have a family that need it, or I have a computer and whatever, and I would just facilitate the
0: yeah
1: it going where it was needed. Um, I got involved then with a lot of the charities and stuff over the years too, to so build a relationship with them and find out what's needed. That could be somebody who is homeless and has give, been given their home for the very first time, their first forever home, as they call it. Yeah, and so. Get them the lampshades, get them the no tables, yeah. get them that. And if you ask people, people have so much stuff sitting in their shed and sitting at home or whatever. So it became something that to me was really easy. Mm. Uh, I then met uh, the wonderful Bernadette Grogan and her mum Mary. They were doing um, hampers on the north side of the city, and they were all involved with the, the Tony Robbins basket brigade um, that had been set up. So they were doing huge work. So I teamed up with them then and decided, right, they were raising the money and I didn't want to do the money part. So I said, I will.
0: Tony Robbins as in.
1: The Tony Robbins. Yeah. So he had a a thing called the uh, Basket Brigade all over the world. So there were groups of people who used to get together to do Christmas hampers. Two weeks before Christmas or a week before Christmas, a family would get a food shop on their door. Yeah um so they were doing phenomenal work so i collected the food and bernie collected the money for the hams and the turkeys and all. they were amazing hampers like i remember doing them in the snow and everything like it was mad coming up to christmas and they're still going they're still they do about 120 to 200 hampers every year yeah um, after a few years doing that i realized that is already established they don't need me so i will I want to do something else I want to there's other stuff that I want to get involved with at Christmas with the homeless I wanted to do the homeless care packs so they over Christmas somebody would have a care pack that has the bits and I know and I'm a bit controversial I know with this but even like the shoe boxes and stuff people have the best intentions when they do that but if you give someone a shoe box and they're on the street where are they going to put it if it rains, it's going to get destroyed and whenever. So I just wanted to do small little packs that had the spare socks, the spare underwear, the whatever. So we did that um that. And then I went to uh, Sona's house, the domestic shelter that was in the area. And I went into the hall one day. Um, I don't know if I told you this story anyway, but there was two little girls. It was really, really big red hats on their sisters, five and six. And they were chalking away on the floor in the hall, you know. And they're like, Mrs, don't tell on us. Don't tell. We're, you know, we're... I said, I see nothing. And um, I said, oh, that's a lovely picture. I said, are you getting ready for Santi? And they went, Santi? Santi's a bee. And right. they yeah. use a very long word. So I went, that's a very big word for a little person. I said, he must have really upset you. I said, what happened? And I sat on the stairs with them. And they said, oh, he just never came to us. He's never come." I said, well, I know Santa Claus and I can make sure that he knows where you are this year. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're lying, you're lying. I said, no, I said, I'm promising you. I said, what is it you want? And one of them wanted roller skates and the other wanted, there was something simple. They weren't big extravagant toys. And I said, I think Santa Claus has just had a problem with navigation. I think he's probably just, because you've moved a few times, he probably lost where you've been. So he mm-hmm. said, we just need to check in with Santi and make sure he knows where you're at. So anyway, I went in and had a meeting with the care in the, the son's house and said, look, what's the story? <laughs> Tell me that that's not the truth. Of it. And she says, yeah, look, she said, when people come in, they come in with the clothes on their back.
0: Yeah.
1: They would have their social welfare payments but it's paying for their food and it's paying for their whatever we provide the shelter but we don't provide that now so she said they might get something out of the pound shop or whatever but you know they wouldn't she said they don't even bother telling them that it's a santa claus thing
0: yeah
1: i cried all the way home i couldn't imagine as mad as my own childhood was i couldn't imagine life as a child without santa claus or having that magic So I said, okay, send me the list of all the kids you have in the shelter. I have no idea how I'm going to do this because it's two weeks to Christmas. But I said, we're going to make sure these kids get their toys. But there's two other shelters attached to that one. So when she sent me the list, she sent me the whole list. And there's 74 children on this list. And I'm looking at it going, oh my God. So walking through Sandy Mount and I look like I have the worries of the world. So this woman came over to me she run the florist at the time in San Diego, and she said what's wrong I said I need 74 toys and they have to be Santa Claus toys right come on she said we'll talk to Antonette over in Tesco went over to Tesco and no problem she said I have 80 staff here they'll all sponsor we always do something we'll all sponsor a toy and that was it done that is brilliant and that was the magic of Pass It On It was always you meet the people who need it, and then you meet the people who help. And you Um, had
0: built up so many connections, I suppose, at that stage, and that people wanted to get involved and to
1: help. But people have come out of nowhere that really, you know, need it. And then we've just added it on. That's grown into Operation Snowball. It's now huge every year. We do over 300 presents, and we do the, the three shelters for the kids. We do um, long-term residence in John at God's. We do the homeless care packs uh, and we're involved with some of the hampers and we do homeless dinners as well. Last year, I think we did 400 dinners for the homeless on Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, so that just, and that again has a life of its own. There's a community of people now involved with that and it's nearly part of their Christmas ritual every year. Yeah, Just automatically go, oh, it's Operation Snowball time. Put me down for a red snowball or a purple one or a whatever and I just put colours on. Whatever category. Um, and like all year round, if if I come across something where I think, oh, we need to do something here or we need to help, I just put out a call and say, I need socks, lads, and my place will be inundated with people giving socks. Yeah. You know, and, and it's incredible for people to trust you in that way. Um, so it's been a blessing. It's been
0: from from your starting off from your seven golden hampers to what it is now, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's just been it's been the the thing I'm proudest of in my life, I think, because you witness kindness.
0: Yeah.
1: All the time. All the time. It's about one person caring about another person.
0: Yeah. And it can't be underestimated, can it? Like it's just one small thing. But
1: again, you have people coming back to you years later. Yeah. And you just don't really think there's an impact or whatever. And I remember one young man and I, I'm, we went to the shelter during COVID. And we normally wouldn't go in with the stuff. We would just deliver it. But we went. We brought Santa Claus down during COVID and we went in the back gate. Yeah. And there was a family behind the curtains. And there's this gentleman behind the curtains, about 15 at the time. And just from the minute I spotted him, there was something about him. There was just something about him. And I called him out and I said, we were given um, selection boxes and stuff and we had left their toys inside. And I said, would you like a selection box? He said, oh, no, we we don't celebrate Christmas. I said, but you eat chocolate. And he said, (laughs) yeah. So he was delighted and he said, but I have three sisters. Anyway, long story short, I got to know this chap. Through the carers I was like I want to know what's happening with him or whenever he's moved into the shelter with his mother he feels very responsible as the man in the house now to protect her from his domestic violence shelter and I said yeah but what's happening to him because if he takes on that role his own journey is going to get lost anyway he's highly intelligent so I started sending him books and then I'd Ask him about the books and, and that, that's how that started and then um we got him into a plc course when he finished school up in rat mines i said to people look he's no money can we sponsor him his lunch money and his bus money every week and somebody stepped up for each week to sponsor that's that and then he went for an interview for a part-time job with that lady in tesco and he got the part-time job and he's just, he's just thriving. And every time he sees me, he goes, don't worry, I'll pass it on. Uh, well. so, so for him, he said, I can't wait to be something or do something or have something so I can look after other people. I said, you're looking after other people all, every day. You look after your mom and your sisters and, you know, they've settled into a new house. They have everything they need or check in with them. And he's just doing phenomenal.
0: Uh-huh. That is amazing. But it's just uh, a little break. People just need a little break. Yeah, they it? a little bit yeah. just to, to believe in them.
1: Yeah. And I, I know it can sound very much, oh, God, am I great or whatever. And I don't mean it in that way at all. I'm just saying there are, there are there's proof that and if we works. step up.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's, it sounds like you think you're great at all. I think it sounds like you're underestimating. well, you can see the impact but the what you've done the pass it on is amazing like in 22 years it's to keep it going and to be able to build all the connections and have such a natural way with people and oh it's
1: brilliant well thank you and i love it and look it's great fun as well you know we have santa claus comes into um cedric's down in sandy mount two weeks before christmas and people come with their donated parcels. So you come with your red parcel or your purple parcel, you meet Santi, you have a cup of coffee, you have a Christmas carol, and it's all very festive. And then on the day, all those parcels go out where they're needed. So that's why it's called it Operation Snowball. But like we've had, we, we even last year, the snow came the night before. And we're like, oh no, there's going to be no parcels.
0: Yeah. And every
1: year, people come, regardless of the weather. They show up. I've never had a year where people haven't showed up.
0: It's part of their routine, I suppose, as you say at the
1: stage. Yeah, but they go out of their way to make sure that it happens. And then we do Love Blast, Valentine's Day, and I know you've been part of that for a long time yeah. as well. And, um, and it's literally, we pick somebody who's maybe behind on their bills a bit or having a little bit of struggle financially. And we just get everyone to stick a fiver in a Valentine's card and a little note of hope and that has been incredible as well because uh, people have made a wall out of all the cards. They've pinned them to their wall. And actually that's happened a couple of times, yeah. Um, you know, and the few Bob will just get them out of a hole and it's great.
0: It's something so simple and sure for most people, like a fiver doesn't cost, you know, it's not a big deal, but it can be a big deal to whoever's receiving it. So.
1: Yeah, well, you see, collectively, you're talking yeah. about 700 quid or whatever. Yeah. You're- um that's a huge big deal if you're behind in your bills yeah you know that that gets the electricity turned back on or it gets the food in the fridge or it gets and it's also the idea that somebody cares about you
0: yeah
1: enough to stick this in your letterbox on valentine's day and you get this lift from it and i think that seems to be the bit that actually has the biggest effect yeah. it's all the little messages in the cards and whatever you know and they just sit reading them for hours it takes yeah. hours to to get through them so and that that came from a very selfish place by the way because i was getting no valentine cards from anyone and i was like oh well if you don't give any out hell you're not going to get any back <laughs> so i used to sit and send them to like nephews and all the little kids in the area and everything yeah. And then my friend said one day, why don't you send them to somebody who you might actually get one back from? <laughs> and I anyway, we had this laugh and I said, well, actually, why don't we just all set, put a fiver in it and send it to someone who needs it? Who needs it, yeah. That's such a lovely idea. And I think there was probably seven or eight of us again like that the first year we did it. And that was it. And then I just got a notion the following year and I went, I want to do 101 cards. That's what I want. Because yeah. that's going to have an impact. Um, and I, that's been running now uh love blast is 10 years ago
0: wow you know so if you think back to yourself in school <laughs> and you're leaving third year yeah. um when you said you weren't going to school you were flirting and hanging around your boys and all that sort of stuff and wanted to get into theatre could you ever have foreseen what your all of the stuff you've been involved
1: in over the last no nine, i nine think decades? it it has worked out better than i could have ever planned yeah and i think the one lesson i learned from that was that you can have the plans and the goals and it's really important to have something that you're heading towards because it keeps us feeling like we're alive and we're living yeah but having the flexibility to say that didn't work out so i'm going to go in a different door or i'm going to step back here and just see what happens I mean, I've had the most incredible things happen to me. I had a life that had a lot of tragedy. And I had, a, um, you know, three of my very closest friends killed in a car accident when I was 20. And I was going out with one of them. And I had my mother died the following February. And then another friend of mine died in a car accident in the May. And it was horrendous. Um, I had a lifetime of worrying about my mum because she was so ill and all. So there was lots of, really heavy stuff that I carried in my life but then I had it punctuated by this amazing adventure that I was on and I mean even with some of the the, it wasn't the U2 crowd it was another um, performer that I was involved with whenever and they used to fly me all over the world like just have a break (laughs) you know you brought to the Dorchester there's a suite in the Dorchester for you chill out for the weekend like I've had the pretty woman moments hundred percent like I've had I've had all of them and I hope that my energy and you know everything else means that there's more of them coming
0: yeah well, I'm really sorry I didn't realize um about your friends and your mom that's
1: pretty hard but it, it
0: it might explain why you have so much empathy like if all that happens so close together I'm sure mm-hmm. it was incredibly difficult and challenging but it's it's probably made you as kind as they are today you know when you can can empathize with people in, in difficult situations
1: thank you i think yeah i just think you when you've been through certain levels of pain particularly at a young age you tend to spot it in other people
0: yeah
1: and i think that probably has played out particularly in my work say with some of the step programs and the kids who are really fighting their way through this you know the the Everything else that's going on with them circumstantially is not going to work in their favor unless yeah. they believe in themselves enough to go, it'll be okay. And I, I think at that time, you know, definitely coming up to the accident or before the accident, I chose fun. I chose to have fun. And now when I look back on that time, I chose to have fun with Mark and David and Joe. And, you know, the, the day before our leave insert, We were all sunbathing down the Shelly Banks and having a snog and, you know, having a great time. And we got sunstroke the morning of our English paper. (laughs) Mm. And when I look back on all that now, because they're gone. I think how incredible to have had that experience and time with them and to have that fun with them. And I could have been sitting in the school, at a school desk, learning economics, but my that's not the way it played out that's not to say i'm telling anyone to not go to school i'm definitely not um it's it's so important but i for me for that year i'm glad i took that time to just have the fun yeah yeah um
0: well, we've covered we've covered loads, Helen. Um, <laughs> uh, what what advice would you have for anybody? Because um, mainly this podcast is for people that want or maybe stuck or have a decision to make and they don't know how to start or get going. What was, okay. what would you suggest based on all of your own life experience, but also based on your coaching and counselling and, and all that background that you have?
1: Okay, being stuck is the worst feeling in the world for anybody and a lot of people when they need to move forward or they're moving forward from something there's a sense of grief people don't tell you about as well it's like you're supposed to have the plan and then move forward but actually you have to just take a moment and grieve for what you're leaving behind so if you're leaving a domestic situation or whatever there was a part of you that fitted into all of that and you have to grieve for that younger person or that person who made those decisions and then you move on but moving on might be as simple as making yourself do things making yourself show up make your bed every morning simple things clean your house look after the items and things that you own go for a little walk and say to yourself right I've made it down to the corner today now I'm going back to bed for the day if you're really you know down the dumps or wherever you might just that might be enough the next day I'm going to the next lamppost and the day after I'm going to the lamppost after that. And it can be as simple as that. But what's crucial Monster. is that you do something to show up for yourself, to build your strength and you build your mental and physical strength. And that you push yourself to do that a little bit, even though you're already in pain or uncomfortable or whatever that's where the payoff will be it'll be showing up for yourself it won't be for anybody else and if you have children you have to show up for them you've no choice but even in that scenario there has to be an element of I'm showing up for me I'm going to make my bed because I want a nice bedroom when I go to sleep at night or I want to go for the walk because at the end of the day I want my body back you know, or I want my health back or I want my fitness. There's so many little tiny things that we can do. Reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to videos, YouTube videos or whatever are incredibly powerful when you're in that place as well. Just feeding your brain with positive stuff. And it can sound, again, very cliche, like the, you know, the world is magic and everything's great and all. It is not. It's horrendous at times and painful and hopefully you will have those punctuations of the really good stuff as well but you have to make your own life and we're here for a period of time and this is your time and and your space so little tiny steps at a time but keep dreaming big get the the board out and do your vision board and have (laughs) all the the nice cars or the houses or whatever you want on that because anytime i put a car on a vision board i got it and I was given presents of cars twice in my life. Wow. So, so just, just, there's a trust of the process, which is very hard when you're recovering from anything or, or moving forward, show up for yourself. I promise you, every time you show up for yourself, some little magic will happen. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Great advice. And where can people find you? Um, If they, I suppose, if they're looking for coaching or they want to get involved in any of um the snowball or um
1: yeah all my giggly bits as they say all, the
0: all your on <laughs> activities
1: has yeah. a pass it on page so you can have a look at some of the projects and i also would have details about coaching and Brilliant. i'm still doing some of the 1980s fitness classes for fun as well so yeah
0: yeah yeah great Okay, well, thanks, Amelia and Helen. Um, It's been such an interesting
1: chat. Thank you so um, much, Elaine. And I just want to finish by saying, you know, like when people are in a similar industry, sometimes, you know, everyone thinks, oh, there's competition or there's whatever. And from the time we met, there's been an openness between us and this connection that we sort of support one another and whatever. And I know you're on a, a very special journey at the moment. And I'm so, so happy for you.
0: Well thanks, <laughs> um Yeah, well, with the competition, I suppose you're you have so many other things going on that we could talk about that like pass it on that aren't in, in competition with me. And uh there's always a need for coaches. So I never have any problem having any uh any coaches on the show.
1: Yeah, but it's lovely, and not everybody is like that. So that's the well,
0: and most coaches have gone through a journey of, of some sort and always have interesting stuff to to impart to the
1: listeners so um so yeah so thanks a million thank you so much
0: thanks to my lovely guest today and thanks to those of you that listened if you like this episode please share or tell a friend i'll be back next time to talk to another amazing lady who has reinvented her next chapter